How many times have we heard the left push the insane idea that only Democrats understand foreign policy and Republicans don't because foreign policy is complex and nuanced? For years, Democrats have been doing their best to sell us that idea because they think it'll help them get elected because they're the only ones who can be trusted to deal with foreign policy. If you read articles written by people at the Brookings Institute and Foreign Policy Magazine and The Economist or The New York Times or Washington Post, they'll tell you that only liberals are capable of solving the complex problems we face around the world. They can solve all of these immensely complex problems because they're smart. And of course, taking that thought to its logical conclusion, conservatives are not smart enough to handle foreign policy. I guess it's because liberals are so smart. The United States State Department is filled with liberals. Who better to solve these complex problems? Of course. Foreign Policy Magazine published an article not too long ago titled, America's Foreign Policy Establishment is Not the Problem. It is the Solution. The article was written by Hal Brands, Peter Fever, and William Inboden. The writers say that under President Obama, Ben Rhodes and others in the administration were very critical of the State Department, claiming it was stodgy and hawkish. I'm of the opinion that President Obama thought America was wrong on just about everything having to do with foreign policy. He seemed to think it was like high school, where the kids all wanted to be popular, and if America was popular, it must be doing things right. Republicans have been critical of the State Department under President Trump, too. They're saying it's only concerned with protecting its own turf and not letting any new ideas take hold. They call it part of the deep state. The writers disagree, but I'm less sure. The writers say the State Department is filled with people holding different points of view, and they all fight on the field of ideas, vociferously, with the winners being those with superior points of view. They admit mistakes, but overall, they agree that the State Department is not a place where new ideas are shut down, but rather encouraged and celebrated. I wonder if these people do present new ideas now and then, and even different points of view. But in reality, it's all for show. Since they all have pretty much the same backgrounds and share the same worldview, their fights can't be real. Eventually, they must all wind up on the same page. They all pretty much come from the same liberal arts colleges and universities, Ivy Leaguers, many of them, and these colleges tend to be progressive in their teaching, so they share far-left points of view, yet they claim to fight over ideas. I find this very hard to believe. I'd love to sit in on one of these sessions where they vociferously disagree with each other, to see if they really do disagree, or if in fact they're all just in on the joke. I can understand why they would have thought the lead-from-behind strategy of President Obama was, what should we say, incredibly stupid? But you can't put President Trump in that camp. He's truly open to new ideas. So if people in the State Department really do like new ideas, he seems to be the man to talk to about them. Yet all three writers seem to agree on one thing. They hate President Trump and say he's an amateur who has wrecked the well-thought-out plans of the State Department and is undermining the stability of the entire world. 
If people in the State Department have such wonderful ideas, why don't they share them with this open-to-new-ideas president? They don't like him, that's why. They're part of the deep state, and they feel threatened by him. There have been deep cuts in the State Department, and people there don't like it one bit. But the changes have been long overdue. It's a big, bloated agency, and it has long-needed changes. And the country will be truly better served if the State Department would actually be open to new ideas, not just claim to be. But where the authors really lose me is at the point where they say, from George H.W. Bush to Barack Obama, post-Cold War presidents worked hard to further the efforts their predecessors started, shaping an environment conducive to American interest and ideas. They promoted free trade and globalization, maintained and even expanded the country's global network of alliances and military bases, policed the global commons, and tried to stabilize regional conflicts and promote human rights. When they start talking about globalization and how that's a worthy goal, they completely lose me. Globalization is the enemy of freedom and the enemy of new ideas. And then they talk about free trade. And when they do that, it really shows their bias. President Trump has been right about many things, and one of them is that free trade is a myth. We trade freely with other countries, but few, if any, are honest partners. They have routinely cheated us on free trade, and until President Trump came along, no one would dare stand up for American interest. The authors seem to strongly disagree with the president's America First policies, and that's where they expose themselves as truly ignorant fools. America First doesn't mean we aren't good neighbors and that we don't care about alliances and promoting democracy and making the world a more peaceful and better place, but it says that we're realists. Nearly every other country in the world promotes a foreign policy that takes into account their own self-interest first and then rarely tries to take into account the needs of other countries. But we're expected to think of other countries first and then look out for America. Doesn't that really sound dumb? And the authors don't talk about NATO, but I'm pretty sure that they didn't like it when the president called out European leaders for not paying to protect themselves. For years, they shortchanged the organization that's supposed to protect them from the Russians. But they so underfunded NATO that soldiers used broomsticks when they trained because they didn't have rifles. So the State Department thinks it would be better to talk endlessly about Europeans defending themselves but take no real action because they might not like us? What does that accomplish? The authors write, The foreign policy establishment is not a closed cabal. American statecraft has not been a giant failure, and scrapping professionalism for amateurism would be a disaster. In truth, they say, the foreign policy establishment is an American strength rather than a weakness. It is more open-minded and accountable than its critics allow. It acts as a storehouse of accumulated professional wisdom, providing intellectual ballast to the ship of state. On balance, the establishment's practical track record has been impressive, with some well-known fiascos 
outweighed by many quiet successes. And the current administration's foreign policy blunders, including in its response to the current pandemic, demonstrates what happens when the establishment's experience and expertise are rejected. In short, the organization is not the problem, it is the solution. Yeah, right. American statecraft has not been a giant failure, the authors say, and I can't see their faces, so I can't see if they're laughing. But let's take them at their word, just for the fun of it. The biggest challenge faced by America, in fact the biggest threat to the world, is China and their openly hostile stance towards democracy. Yet the authors believe that engagement is the answer to the China problem. Globalism is the answer. Fighting climate change is the answer. These guys are experts. Experts in what? They also say that the current administration's foreign policy blunders including its response to the coronavirus pandemic, demonstrates what happens when the establishment's experience and expertise are rejected. It took three writers to come up to this ridiculous conclusion. Three writers! What would the State Department have done differently? The authors don't share that information because they can't, because it doesn't exist. But I'm guessing that the State Department would have kept our borders open, so that China wouldn't have been offended when President Trump shut down travel to that country. It would have resulted in countless more death of Americans, but China would like us more, and we'd appear more enlightened to the rest of the world. They also accused this administration of not being involved in world politics. They say that less engagement by Washington on a global liberal agenda in trade, politics, and human rights would not have improved the world or prepared it institutionally to handle global challenges such as pandemics and climate change. And there you have it. Our foreign policy should be concerned with how to institutionally be ready to fight pandemics and climate change. And the way to do that is to globalize the world so we can do it as one. Is the biggest threat to humanity climate change or the threat posed by China? This isn't a trick question. This all sounds strangely like a Star Trek episode. Instead of the Federation of Planets, it is the Federation of all the countries in the world. But without the cooperation of countries like China and Russia, how can we have true global solutions to the problems facing the world? China did nothing to help fight the pandemic. In fact, all evidence points to China as the source of it and their cover-up of the origins of this pandemic and their lies about the virus not being capable of being transmitted by humans slowed the world's response, and it resulted in many thousands of needless deaths. And which country pollutes more than any other and won't abide by any rules that would help reduce their carbon footprint? That would be China. But the State Department could get them to cooperate if only that incompetent Trump would get out of the way. It's a nuanced problem and needs smart progressives to solve it. If we could give them 50 or maybe 100 years to work their magic, if they could engage the Chinese government, it could all end well. But the unfortunate truth is that we don't have 50 to 100 years to deal with China. People in the State Department 
didn't like the Obama administration, and they hate the Trump administration. So what is it that they really want? It sounds like they believe only they are equipped to deal with these complex problems. And they could do it if only they didn't have to be under the thumb of any president. Do they really believe that if they answered to no one, their superior intelligence would win the day? Do they really believe that they could bring the world together, China and Russia too, and North Korea, and even France? And they could solve every problem on earth. That would make even Captain Kirk proud and Spock too. All we need to do is let them run free with no oversight, and everything will be fine. Just trust us because we're very smart, smarter than you. But I'm not sure I like that idea. It sounds too much like the deep state. And looking at their track record, giving them a lot of power sounds like a bad idea, a very bad idea.